Hi everyone and welcome to The Raw Show with Michael McDonald. I have a very special guest. We have Katie Bulmer-Cook joining me today. Katie, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for the invite. Katie's a professional speaker and a business, and business consultant with vast experience in delivering the health and fitness industry and business arena. She has a unique ability to inspire SMEs, students and employees with her down-to-earth style and usable business takeaways. So I, it seems it seems like you've gone on quite a, a bit of a journey, particularly down the health and fitness side. Um, but would you be able to, to share with our listeners where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm a Sunderland lass through and through. I was born in Sunderland and I grew up around fitness. So my mum has been teaching group fitness for 31 years now. So from being four, I used to go and sit in the corner of her classes. And like this was back when it was all leotards and lycra and all of that sort of stuff. (laughs) And (coughs) I was basically brought up on that and I just never wanted to do anything else other than fitness I just wanted to be like me mom I loved the atmosphere and, and back then fitness to me was something totally different to what it is now I think when I look at the fitness industry now there's a lot about aesthetics it's all about how you look everybody's chasing something but back then it wasn't really like that. It was just everyone wanted to, everyone wanted to come to a class to have a good time. Yes, they wanted to be fitter and like be a really great version of themselves, but it was all about the social aspect and just looking after yourself. There wasn't this pressure and this hardcore aspect to the fitness industry that it is now. And it was it was those things that I really loved. So growing up, I played sport, and then when school ended. I just thought, what am I going to do now that I can't play netball, hockey, run, play tennis? And that was when I fell in love with the gym. All right. So it's it's almost like you went from, from playing sport that was maybe a little bit more, more open, a bit more activity versus like training led. And then you suddenly decided that the gym was the, the next step for you. What was your favourite sport? This is going to sound ridiculous because nobody ever says this, but it was cross-country running. <laughs> Ah. Um, everyone else used to seem to dread it, but I just really liked it. I think that's like my natural engine is to run long distance. Um, I'm not much of a sprinter. I'm not very fast, but I've, I've got a fairly decent engine. So I just used to enjoy getting out and going for it. All right. So, I mean, nowadays it's definitely like we're starting to understand that it's a bit more to it than just the running. But uh, what, what benefits did you get from doing the cross country? Um, well, I, I definitely got fit. I improved my endurance massively. Um, but honestly, I would say the biggest takeaway from the running experience was like what it did for your mind, just clearing your mind and, and getting out there and just running, enjoying the fresh air. I enjoyed the competitive element as well to a point. Um, and I liked like the tactics of running. I always found quite interesting as well. All right. So, so when it's it's kind of different to, to marathon running, I would imagine. But what what sort of tactics would would you try to use to? Because you know, this is this idea that if you go out too fast, like straight straight away, you end up burning yourself out and then slowing down, and that, and that can affect your time. So, what what sort of things did you find work for you? 
Well, it was whether or not you were going to run from the front, whether you were going to like sit on the shoulder of the person in front, whether you were just going to really take your time and conserve your energy and then have a big kick at the end. And I, I tried all of those tactics. I was never the best in that sport. Like I was never, I was never the winner. I was always the silver or the bronze. But um, to me, it wasn't the competitive element that was the most important part. I just liked being involved in sport. So, so what happened next when you found the gym then? Where, where did you decide to, to take your life at that point? Okay, so I was 16 and I'd left school. Like There was no more sporting opportunities really after school. So I started going to the gym a little bit, to this thing called Fit Club, which was like an opportunity where you could, you could go to like your parents' gym at certain hours on a weekend. And I just really, really enjoyed the gym. And I'd always loved going to classes as well. And at this point, I was old enough to go and join in some classes. And then one day, my mum mentioned that there was going to be an exercise to music course running in Sunderland. And like, if I wanted to get into the fitness industry, this was going to be the course I should do. And as much as I wanted to do it, like, it made us really nervous because I was, I was only young. And I thought like standing in front of people and, and teaching a class would be really scary. But my mum persuaded it that it was a good idea. So I did it and passed the course and then just really wanted to go out and teach classes. But unfortunately for me, <clears throat> at 16, with no experience and just a piece of paper, there weren't many people, if, or if any people, that wanted to employ me or even take us on as a freelancer. So I tried all the big local health clubs and then I just thought, you know what, I need to just go and do this on my own. So I went and found a community centre hired that um, and back then again there was no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, nothing so I just used my phone and just invited everybody I knew to come to these classes and that was where my fitness business started when I was 16. All right what, what sort of classes did you do? Was it just, was it just dancing or was there, was there other things as well? Um, predominantly it was like good old-fashioned aerobics which you don't see a lot of now but it was an awesome, it still is an awesome way to work out. So it was like a mixture of cardiovascular work, like teaching people a routine and um, some conditioning stuff and then a good stretch and cool down at the end. And, and people loved the classes and they were rammed all the time. And I would say even now, having seen all of these different things in the fitness industry come and go, that is still my favourite type of class to teach. Mm. I did hear that um, the body pump was one of the, the most popular classes ever. Is, 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 that, is that true? I mean, how accurate is that? You know, it's, it's probably fairly accurate. I mean, the Les Mills group is just massive. Well, it's global. There are body pump classes in so many gyms and clubs across the whole world. That may well be true. Right, right. So when did you decide to, to try and do something bigger than just classes? Or I guess I want to start off with saying, well, what, what ran through your mind when you were making that decision? Because I, I would imagine things picked up and things went really well. So, so what went through your mind and what, what led up to you making the decisions to, to take things up a notch? Well, there were, there were two big turning points for me in my business when I was younger and that the first one was that 
by the time I was 19, I was teaching like 30 fitness classes a week. And when I say teaching, I also mean, therefore, joining in 30 yeah. fitness classes a week. And although I was only like super young, I was like so injury prone. <clears throat> I used mm. to pull hamstring, I did a bit of a niggly shoulder, a bit of a sore back. And I just thought to myself, I can't continue this. Like my body cannot physically do this for the rest of my life. So while I'd been doing classes, I'd also been like keeping half an eye on what was going on in the gym and I was watching the personal trainers and I thought, you know, they still really get to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. In many ways, they have a closer relationship with their clients because it's one-on-one and, you know, they're making, they're making good money as well. So when I was 20, I went and did my diploma in personal training and then started to do a combination of one-to-one coaching where my body got a bit of a rest and Mm -hmm. then the rest of it was classes. And that was like a really good combination and I really, really loved it and probably would have kept doing that for a a lot longer. Um, But I used to work like 50, 60 hours a week, but I loved it and it it didn't matter to us that it was all those hours. But then like the second turning point for me was when I was 23, um, I was pregnant with my little girl, Heidi, who's now seven. And all of a sudden it dawned on us that that business model that I had had many, many flaws. The main one being that I was just doing like a time for money exchange. And, and now with a little baby, I was thinking, how am I going to be able to train all of these clients, have, have all of these classes <clears throat> and do all of this work? And look after a baby and I realized very quickly that that was impossible so I knew that I had to diversify a little bit and, and find a new business model within an industry that I loved right and what what was that okay so I decided that rather than doing one-to-one coaching I would do small group PT and I branded it up and I, I launched it in my local area and it went down really well so not only did it work for me in terms of being able to leverage my time and still work with like really lovely clients all the time, but it also made PT more accessible for a lot more people because as most people know, personal training can be expensive and not everyone can afford it. So this model made that service more accessible to people and it went really well and I thought, you know what, there's, there's something in this and there must be other fitness professionals like me. Maybe they've got a family or maybe they just don't want to work the 50, 60 hour weeks. So I packaged up what I did like, in my hometown in Sunderland and then I licensed the business model um, to 41 locations um, in the UK and one in Canada. Um, and that was when it, that was really my first taste of having a real business and not just a hobby that I saw as a job as well, if that makes sense. <clears throat> mm. So is, is there anything that would distinguish like the, the PT side and then having the, the studio kind of thing? Because you mentioned like the difference between the business and then the hobby that you got paid for. Is there an element of like it not just being you running the business what would you say was the distinguishing factors for that I think really the scalability because while while it was just me 
I was always going to be capped by the number of hours in the week. And that would be capping the number of clients I could see, the amount of money that I could make. So I was always going to have like this, this sort of ceiling on how, how much I could do and how much I could earn. So the difference with licensing that business model and then looking at like really scaling up was just that it gave us more freedom. I could do more than I could with that time for money model, if that makes sense. Uh, okay so what what happened next then so this this was you having the the idea and then launching it what was it like to to launch it initially um it was actually really exciting because (laughs) i would never done anything like that before and at the time in the industry there was nothing like that either so it was a really exciting time i think when i tell this story normally people just think that it was just sort of flick a switch and all of a sudden you've got 41 people on board with your, with a business model that you've designed. And um, it wasn't that easy. There was like a bit of a, a backstory to that moment. So in the couple of years leading up to me launching that business, even without knowing that that was what I was going to do, I'd been building a list of people and a following of fitness professionals, like through my blog through my emails, through my social media. So that when that time came that I decided, right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to license this business model and I'm going to go for it. I already had a following of people that would have an interest in what I was about to do. Mm. So I think often people look at things like that story I've just told you and thought, that was easy. I could do that. And don't get us wrong, anyone can do it. But there's a lot of hard work and, and groundwork that goes in before that to make sure that when you do come to launch things, they are a success. And that was in blogging regularly, being active on social media, creating good quality content and, and helping people in general. Right. So what was, was, was there anything that you think made all the difference then? Is there anything that you thought, okay, if I hadn't have done that, then it would have made my life a lot more difficult to to launch everything and and actually make sure that it was a success. Was there anything that stands out? I think the main thing is consistency. Like, everybody is capable of writing a good blog. I honestly believe that. Everybody's capable of putting good, helpful stuff out on social media. But it's the consistency that counts. Like, the hard thing is doing a blog every few days or doing a blog every week or making sure that your newsletter goes out on time or making sure that you're creating video content for your social. That, that's the hard part, being consistent, because don't get us wrong, there were days, and there still are, when I think, oh, God, I could do without writing that blog today. I've got writer's block or days when I know that it's time to make a video, but... I just can't be bothered to put my makeup on and wash my hair. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's got to be done. And it's that consistency that people then start to trust you and they think, you know what, this girl has been here week after week with this newsletter. She's always putting out good videos. She's never like disappeared, gone off the radar and then, and then come back and reappeared. She's just been there all the time. So actually, I feel happy giving this girl my money and putting some trust in her because she's being consistent and reliable. 
All right. So, at, at what point did did things actually start to, I guess, to feel like it was worth doing? So, when, so whenever we we tend to dive into something, it tends to it tends to feel a bit harder than maybe we thought, or a lot, a lot of things we didn't really foresee. So, it made things a bit harder. So, how, how long from launching the idea did things actually start to to feel like it was worth doing? Honestly, it felt like it was worth it from the start, and I know that's not the usual thing to say, but I just really enjoyed it. Like, I loved working with other trainers and other fitness professionals and helping them make their business better. I just really, really loved it from, from the very first day that I put that product out there and the first couple of people bought it. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, cool. So, I mean, for for some people that that are listening, that they probably they might recognise you, or, or or they might not. They might think of the the name might be quite familiar. So, <laughs> you probably see where this is going. <laughs> At what point did you decide to to try and be on the Apprentice? Um, it wasn't really my decision to be honest. So, I was on the Apprentice in two thousand and fourteen. So in 2013, it was just a couple of clients randomly said to us, Katie, you know what? You should apply for The Apprentice. And I was like, really? Should I? And I watched the show. Like, I'm a, I'm, I wouldn't say I was a super fan of the show, but I watched it and I liked it. They're like, oh, go on, fill the form in. Well, I was like saying, yeah, yeah, I'll fill it in. And I sort of didn't really have any intentions of filling it in. And then one night, one, a client of mine sent us a link on Facebook to the sign-up page and said, look, the auditions, the applications are open, come fill it in. So I filled it in and I honestly thought nothing of it and then got an email, I think it was in the January of 2014, inviting us to the first round of auditions. And I said to my mum, have you seen this? Like, they've invited us for an audition. She went, well, are you, you going to go? I said, well, I don't really know. Like, do you think I should go? She went, well, do you want to be on it? And I said, I don't really know, ma'am, to be honest. <laughs> so in the end, I decided that I would go for the experience because it would be good to be tested a little bit and challenged by someone else. And really, I was just being a bit of a nosy parker and thinking I'd really like to see what goes on at these auditions and I went along and that was the very non-exciting story about how I got into doing The Apprentice. <laughs> Those five years, as long as it's honest Katie you know I mean yeah. some people think it's going to be all, all sunshine and rainbows or it's all amazing and then we actually realise that actually it might not be so Tell you that's what, fine like, the, the reality of it is it's bloody hard like what you see on the television is is awesome, but it's a snippet of the hard work that goes into a task. Like, viewers watching hours worth of the show, and we can do a task over like three days, and the pressure that is on you, and the, the backbiting, because you've got to contend with other people. I'd always just been a one-man band, work for myself, Never had to worry about it, like anyone else working alongside us or in a team or anything like that. And all of a sudden, I was thrown into this team 
full of people who had such diverse characters, who were so confident. I mean, some people were beyond confident and were just cocky. And having to work within that environment in itself was such a challenging thing to do. So what what's it really like then? So when we watch The Apprentice, it's kind of like, you know, you, you get given the tasks and it's almost like you... I don't know. I mean, I always get the impression like it's it's almost like a boot camp scenario. Like you've got to wake up at a certain time. You've got these tasks to do, and you've got this, that, and the other thing. And it's it's almost like it's all it all comes across as orchestrated and engineered by by the producers. Is is that what it's like, or is it a bit more a bit more flexible than that? I mean, of course, there's a there's a task that is being planned for you to complete. So to that point, yes, it's it's produced in that way but it is a reality show so what you see on the television is real it all happened nobody puts words in your mouth and your actions are your own and it is extremely difficult and when you see a boot camp goodness me like at times it really was so the phone would ring sometimes half four five o'clock in the morning and it was dark and it was cold and you only got 20 minutes to get ready. <coughs> Excuse me. And a lot of people ask us if, if that's real. And 100% that is real. You have to be ready in 20 minutes. So you didn't even have time to let the shower warm up. So I was getting <laughs> up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning, having a cold shower because I didn't have time for the water to warm, getting ready in super quick time, having nothing more than half a banana for me breakfast and then being <laughs> door and that was it for the day full on and they are full on days so you're starting super early and sometimes you're not getting into like 10 11 o'clock at night right well so it's, it does it does seem quite intense then so i mean i actually didn't watch the uh, the season that you were on katie so i i have to apologize for that um so why, right. why why did the um why did Mr. Sugar decide to, to not let you win then? What happened there? Okay. So um, for anyone that doesn't watch the show, the, the process itself is 12 weeks long. I was fired on week 10. And on week 10 was like the final task. And I was the project manager. And God, this still makes us laugh now. The, <laughs> task, the task was to create a new dessert so you know like when you go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's or wherever and you can pick like a single portion dessert up mm -hmm. just to create one of those and um, on my team we decided to create a trifle with some different flavors ah. and um, one of the ingredients that I decided to use to be a little bit quirky and a little bit different was um, saffron I honestly didn't know, and anyone listening to this will probably think, how did you not know that, Katie? But I honestly didn't know that saffron is a really expensive ingredient. <laughs> and I, I just basically put a ton of this stuff in this trifle. Now, the good news is it tasted great. The bad news is it cost a fortune. <laughs> um, and Lord Sugar really thought that I hadn't, kept me mind on the numbers in in my mind i had kept my eye on the numbers i just didn't know that saffron was like super expensive mm. so that was the main that was the main reason but 
ultimately, in the end, it came down to business plans and I was I was alongside two really strong candidates, Mark and Sanjay. Sanjay was also fired the same time as me. And really, Lord Sugar could only take one of us forward to the final stage. And uh, the business plan that he was most interested in on that occasion wasn't mine. Ah, uh, okay. So it, it does, it, it, yeah, it definitely gives the impression that it's quite a, it's quite an intense uh, show to be on, to say the least. So what, 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 what did you do after that? So what, firstly, I think, what, what ran through your mind when, when he did actually say that, that you were fired then? A combination of two feelings. The first one was I was disappointed. Like I was gutted because by nature, I am a competitive person and mm -hmm. I have a really strong desire to win at whatever I'm doing. So disappointed in that respect. But on the flip side, actually quite relieved. Like I had this feeling when I walked out of the boardroom of just complete and utter relief like I can't describe and I, I burst out crying and I wasn't crying because I was sad I was crying just it was just pure release of like all those weeks of being away from home being in this pressure cooker and then it just all came out and anytime anyone spoke to us or all these lovely people I'd met on the production team coming over going oh Katie well done giving us a cuddle and stuff and I just cried anytime anyone looked at us it was just it was honestly just relief but at that point like I sorted myself out came home and there's a there's a gap between filming the show and the show being on television now on the year I did it, it was the same year as the World Cup so the apprentice was pushed back a little bit in terms of time so I had a good few months where nobody knew that I'd been on the show nobody knew about <laughs> it yet but I knew what the outcome was so I thought you know what you're never going to get another chance at this sort of platform exposure whatever you want to call it you haven't won, but let's really make the most of it. So I sat down and I write and I wrote a list of all the things that I wanted to achieve, like on the back of this massive opportunity. And I just set about getting everything lined up, ready for when it was announced that I was going to be on there and whatever else was going to happen. And I just really worked hard on that list because I didn't want to walk away from it thinking, oh, well, I didn't win, so I didn't win. That's, that's it. What actually happened was, I feel like I won in so many other ways. I, the opportunities that I got on the back of it and the, the fun stuff that I got to do. And don't get as wrong, I think other people, other candidates have previously have been disappointed that you know, a lot of opportunity hasn't come their way. I don't think being on The Apprentice automatically means that you'll, you'll go on and do all these cool things. And that people are not going to your door to do them. It's very much a case of you need to go and work hard at getting these opportunities, but that platform helps you open the door a little bit more. Mm. So what, what, what sort of things actually happened afterwards then? So once people realised that you'd been on The Apprentice and, yeah, you didn't win, but you said that, you know, you, you took something positive away from it, what, what actually happened in terms of, like, as a result of being on the show... 
what what kind of things did actually come your way? Um, a, a range of different things that were really quite diverse from fitness. So I ended up with my own TV show, which is on our local television channel, but now it's networked across the UK. It's a show called Chatty Lasses, which is like a northeast version of Loose Women, essentially. It's a female panel show, and I host that show. Um, I also do a breakfast show on our local radio station on a Sunday. So those media opportunities that I don't think I would have had previously, they came along. On the back of it, I've also done a lot of professional speaking, and I've made that a significant part of my business now and still three years after The Apprentice I'm still as busy with that as I was back in 2014 so that's been amazing and then doing a lot of consultancy work like going into health and fitness businesses and helping people um, to grow their business to scale things up um to achieve new things and I really really love doing that that makes us so happy right so it it gives the impression then that being on the apprentice and getting the the media exposure helps sort of catapult you into going from doing things for yourself almost to then turning around and, and helping others do what you've done yeah I suppose it took us from helping people in the capacity as a personal trainer to helping people in a business capacity um, and that's really rewarding like it's re- both of those are extremely rewarding but just being alongside someone and helping them along to get them over the line get them to their goal is just a really nice feeling like, I think that's amazing job satisfaction all right so this is a little bit of a little bit of a backtrack but it's something that, that came up before when I, d- I don't want to to leave any stone unturned when it comes to this so if someone else was maybe maybe in, in a position whereby they're experiencing perhaps you know being rejected or they're unsure whether they whether they should do something in case they they do fail and they do get rejected and all of those kinds of things. Have you got any advice for someone that's been in a similar situation to what you were in? Um, I think it's always, this is what I was brought up on as well, make the best of any situation. Like, I didn't win The Apprentice, but like I say, I won in so many other ways. And there doesn't always have to be just one positive outcome. There doesn't have to be that, like, one thing that you're chasing all the time. There can be lots and lots of other opportunities. I think you've just got to open your mind to them a little bit more and think, Oh, I hate this saying. I'm going to say it anyway. You'll know what I mean. (laughs) Think outside the box. Like, Mm. it it doesn't have to be that one thing that you're chasing all the time. There's opportunity everywhere. And and just keep working hard. I honestly believe hard work pays off. Like, prior to going on The Apprentice, I worked so, so hard. And if I hadn't worked hard, I wouldn't have got on it because you had to have a good CV, like, I really, really pushed hard and I won some good awards. I won UK Personal Trainer of the Year in 2012 and Fitness Professional of the Year in 2013. And they were both a result of hard work. So I I just really believe that if you put the hard work in and you just be stay open-minded to what is available to you and the opportunities that you can grab, you can't go wrong. Do you have any suggestions for someone that 
that might want to, to be more open-minded. So uh, I know this, this might be a little bit difficult to actually maybe put into words. Um, so we've, we've, had a few, we've had a few guests on mention things like meditation and, and those kinds of things. So we, we have had certain strategies before. So the people listening won't be completely, you know, unknowledgeable about these types of things. But, you know, if you've got any, it could be anything. It could be something small, it could be something big. What, what would you suggest, well, at least try and suggest with someone that is struggling to be more open-minded? Um, I have to be honest with you Matt and say I am not the deepest person in the world like I'm not an onion I haven't got many layers I'm pretty like I'm a non-complex character and mm-hmm. um, so I find I actually find stuff that's quite deep quite difficult to get my head around I'm very much at right just do it person and like quite top layer I'm not deep at all but there is one thing that always sticks in my mind was a book that I read well actually I saw this guy speak first and then I bought his book this is a guy called Michael Heppel and he has a a book called Flip It and it's all about just taking negative situations and how to flip them on their head and turn them into positive ones and I think I like that book because it's just to the point it's straightforward just like I am as a person and I find it easy to grasp. I've tried to read books. I've tried to like meditate and be more in touch with my thoughts and feelings. I'm just not that person. And um, so that book for me is spot on. And if anybody is like me and you, you want to work on mindset stuff, but you're not very deep, then that book is awesome because it just really does what it says on the tin. It flips negative thoughts and turns them into positive ones. Well, that, that, that sounds like quite, um, I guess, a book that a lot of people would want to, to read because we often hear things like um, positive thinking and, and, and all of those kinds of things. And I've not actually heard about that book before, so I'm going to add that to, to my list for sure. And I think there, there are a lot of people that, that are interested in like their, their thoughts and feelings, but they're just not really sure what, what to do. So I definitely think that that, that, that book flip, it's definitely a, a good starting point for, for the listeners anyway. Um, what happened after that? So when you decided to, to start helping others with, with their fitness businesses and things, what, what happened next? So sort of take us up to, to present day. Um, more of the same, really. Like that, that element of my business has really grown. I've, I've worked with some some bigger brands um, right through to like one man bands, like how I used to be and everyone in between. So I think really the apprentice gave us that opportunity to step back and look at what I wanted to do and, and put the groundwork in there. And then it really over the last three years has just grown. I've had more opportunities to, to do professional speaking, to do consultancy, more really fun TV and radio work, that sort of thing. Um, and it's just, it's just grown year on year. All right. So what, what sort of things do you see for, for you in the future? So let's sort of say, Katie, in the future, what, what sort of things do you want to do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I had that list that I told you I wrote after I did The Apprentice of things I wanted yeah. to see. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough 
to do the last tick on that list about a year and a half ago. And I get asked this question a lot, like what's, what's next for you? What are you gonna do next? What does the future hold? And since I did that last tick, I can honestly say that I haven't written down another solid goal ever since. Mm. And I think that's not the usual thing for people to say when it comes to business, because if you listen to like traditional business gurus, everybody talks about goal setting and taking time out to map out your next five years and your next 10 years. And yes, every year I set goals for my business in terms of growth, etc. But I'm not like fixated on I must achieve this and I must achieve this now. Like the things that were really important for me to do in my life, I've, I've ticked off. I'm not saying that there'll never be another list in the future, but at the minute right now, I'm just enjoying sort of, I suppose you'd describe it like riding the wave a little bit, like cruising along. I'm, I'm hitting my business targets every year. My business is growing year on year. That makes us happy. Um, but I'm, I'm just not a, a crazy goal setter, um, which I bet loads of business gurus, if they listen to this, will be like, oh my goodness. She works in business and she's not crazy about goals. Just not think sometimes it's absolutely fine to just appreciate what you've got. You don't always have to want more, more stuff, more this, more that, whatever it is. Sometimes it's really important to just take stock of how lucky you are and the things that you have got and the life that you have got and just enjoy them. Mm, yeah, definitely. I, I, I'd be curious to know how how someone could could go about escaping that that need for more and that and that wanting to to set those goals and because we we can we can often get 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 stuck in this idea of achievement and and moving forwards and i've been guilty of that in the past always setting the the next goal and i think in particular with with health and fitness it's even more so you know like it's like okay we lose a certain amount but then the next thing will i'll just lose a bit more you know so you, you get, get caught in that in that loop have you got any suggestions for someone that wants to escape that so you mentioned being be, being more appreciative of, of what you've got have you got anything else for us yeah you know, one of the, the first things you should do is stop following on anyone on social media who is like a crazy goal person. Because the more the more that gets in front of you, the more it gets into your head and the, and the more amplified that becomes. So I did this a few months ago. I just unfollowed anyone on Instagram who was making us feel like my life was inadequate. Right. <laughs> because remember that, on social media, people only show their highlights. They only show the absolute best bits of their life. They don't show you the, the parts in between that have been a little bit crap or have been a bit of hard work. They're just showing you the aspirational part. So it makes you think that the rest of the world is setting these ginormous, brilliant goals and they're achieving all of them in record time. What you don't see on social media is the hard work that went into getting there, the reality of how long it took people to get there, the goals that were set that weren't achieved, they're only showing you the ones that were. And as a result, it makes you think, 
know what? I, I didn't achieve that goal I set myself last month. I, I'm like just not very good. Um, it makes you feel inadequate. It makes you feel downbeat. So the first thing I would do is remove anybody from your radar who makes you feel like that because everybody is always good enough and no one should ever be made to feel intentionally or otherwise that they're not good enough. So have a social media clear out. And then the other thing is, I think define what success means to you because to somebody up the street, success might be a Range Rover Sport and a Rolex watch. But to somebody at the other end of the street, success might be having a really happy family life and being able to go on holiday once a year. Now, it's really important that your success is your success and it's not somebody else's idea of success. So my idea of success will be very different to yours and should be very different to someone else's. And when you have your own idea about that, what that is, then you're only working to your own goals and your own success and therefore your own happiness and not somebody else's. How would someone, how would someone try to just focus on, on their own goals? So we are, we are like, you know, we are around other people. We are social beings, that, that, that kind of thing. How would you suggest people try to, just try to be a bit more focused in, in what they're trying to achieve. Cause very often we do try and take things from others and try and make them our own. I know I've been definitely guilty of like taking say a health goal or a business goal that someone else wants to achieve. And I go, Oh, I'd like to achieve that as well. But without getting really clear on and trying to make things my own. But then as we go through the journey, we are, we are tempted quite a lot from from others particularly like um peers and things you know people that want a, a similar path to us how would you help people try to focus on themselves a little bit more and um, it might just mean that you need to spend some time on your own as simple as that and, and not care about what other people are doing or try or trying to achieve at that time just sometimes come across a little bit too blunt and a little bit too like straight down the line but just stop doing that like just stop looking at other people stop take a step back look at yourself what do you want what makes you happy what makes your family happy and do that and be rigid about it and remind yourself about it all the time put reminders on your phone about what your goals are so that you stay focused on it keep it in front of you you know people say about when it comes to losing weight put the picture that you don't like of yourself on the fridge so you're always reminded of what you are working towards. Do the same thing with your life goals or your business goals or whatever they might be. And if you need to, seclude yourself a little bit more and just get really clear on what you need before you start hanging around with people who've got totally different goals to you. Well, that sounds like a very, very nice way to, to round things off, Katie. But just before we we do finish if someone wants to find out a bit more about you where, where, where would they be able to go to find out more um just google <laughs> just google <laughs> katie bulmer cook uh, it's cook with an e on the end and bulmer like the cider and you'll find my website which is katiebulmer.com and you'll find us on social media
All right, awesome. And uh, for our for our last question, Katie, is what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a question to finish with. What would I like the world to know about me? Um. We have had some crazy answers, Katie, so you don't have to confine yourself to anything. You know, I think I'd like the world to know about me that this is going to... I've gone from being really straight down the line, I'm going to sound really soft here, (laughs) Um, but people might not know this about me, but I genuinely, genuinely love seeing other people do really well. That's one of my favourite things in life. I just love to see people having a great time, being happy and achieving good things. Um, it just it does make us smile. I would say that's it. All right, Katie. Well, thanks for, for taking the time to, to be a guest on the show. Um, I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Yes, thank you very much for inviting us on. <laughs>